you remember two weeks ago, um, Liz spoke about Eunice and Lois, and in two weeks' time, Kate Bridges is going to be talking about Yodia and Syntyche. Best wishes for that, Kate. Um, <laughs> um, so he said, would I talk on Phoebe? And I thought, Phoebe, Phoebe? Oh, yeah, Phoebe. Phoebe is mentioned once in the first verse of the 16th chapter of Romans. Um, and I said, now, if I'm going to do a bit on that Romans, I'd like to actually speak about all of the women in that chapter, because there are quite a few. Um, I have a real affinity with that chapter. I was once asked, um, not here, to, just as we were going into a service, a communion service, celebration, um, I was asked if I'd do the reading, and it was Romans 16. So I opened it, and it was a long list of unpronounceable names. But I read it, and then I read it again, and I've read it since, and, and I really love it because it's so different. It's not what you'd expect from Paul somehow. It shows him in a completely new light. So um, I think it's actually quite important to read the whole ver- the whole chapter. So bear with me. Um, but then I'm just going to share really my, my thoughts and sort of what I've found out through delving into history um, about these characters. Uh, it is fascinating when you really start cross-referencing and reading up, you discover a whole lot more than just reading it once at face value. So I'm going to read, um, read the chapter now. And this is the final chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans, which you may remember is a heavy theological, uh, really, explanation of, like, presented as a lawyer would present a case in court, of the case for the gospel. Um, and it's... Um, yeah, it's really deep and, and uh, intense. And then you get this chapter. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sancrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord worthy, in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she's been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives, who've been in prison with me. They are outstanding amongst the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who's worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who's been a mother to me too. 
Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learnt. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I'm full of joy over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my relatives. Tertius, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, send you my greetings. Gaius, whose hospitality, hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, send you his greetings. Erastus, who's the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus, send you their greetings. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. So it's quite a chapter, isn't it? All of that really lovely, warm, friendly stuff, and then a bit of theology, woof, thrown in as well. A lot to take in. But I found the thing that struck me most was how... I'm going to put my Bible down. How contrary it was, really, to to put the Paul that I'd sort of come to know very serious, deep-thinking, highly intellectual theologian, um, not given, really, to sort of whimsical, you know, soft stuff. But here he shows himself to be a real people person. Paul, please. So I felt that Romans 16 is like a selfie, you know, how when you're all with the family and friends, you oh, come on, let's take a picture, you know, yeah, smile and all that, and you see everyone around you. And that's what you sort of get here. You get the picture of Paul, the great teacher, great theologian, surrounded by all these people who've helped him that he obviously really loves and appreciates and uh, values. And I was really sort of moved by that. I thought, well, this is, this is a new side of Paul. Um, so let's look about at... The women, now hang on a minute, I've now got to whiz through the next several, several, (laughs) Um, there, having read the the thing, not realising I'd have it here. Um, Who were these women? So first of all, we get Phoebe. Now, Phoebe is first of all described as a sister. I commend to you our sister, Phoebe. 
And that's not insignificant. I know we talk about brothers and sisters, but in the family of Christ. But actually, he's saying here, this lady is a really valuable person. I want you to treat her with the respect and the purity and the, the honour that you would your own sister. So she is obviously a, a, a very worthy lady in Paul's eyes. She's a servant. Um, how, yeah, a servant. Our sister Phoebe. Now, in many, in many translations... It will say, and the, uh, Gary will probably tell me the original translation said deacon, but a deacon really means a servant. She serves the church at Sencrea. Oh, a little geographical aside. Sencrea is um, a small town on the eastern side of the great harbour port of Corinth. And um, Paul stopped off there. It, it, in, eight, in Acts 18, it comments on the fact that Paul stopped there on his way to take the boat to Ephesus to have his head shaved in fulfilment of a vow. Oh, I thought that's interesting. I looked back a bit. Now, Nazarites, the people who dedicated their life to God, remember Samson, his parents dedicated him, and he wasn't to go cut his he wasn't to cut his hair. But I think it had sort of amended a bit and adapted over the years. And so there were periods that you had to leave your hair growing. I guess Paul had got to the end of one of those periods and decided that as he set off for Ephesus, he'd he'd have his head shaved. Um, just a little aside, you know. Um, I, so he says of Phoebe, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. So now he's calling her a saint. Now, you know, we have a picture, don't we, of saints, holy men with halos and very pious. But that's not how Paul uses this word. For him, all who are called to, to Christ, to serve Christ, are saints. We're all saints. And so he... he He's, he's saying this woman is, is a worthy person to be, um, to be received. It actually got me thinking, and some scholars have said, have suggested that it may be that Phoebe was the person who was actually entrusted to take this letter to Rome. So he, therefore he starts by commending her. You know, I commend my sister Phoebe, trusted person, she brought this letter to you. But anyway... Um, He then goes on to say, I ask you to give her any help she may need from you, for she's been a great help to many people, including me. He's actually used the word help, although in one of the translations, it talks about her having been a succorer, benefactor, or succorer. Now, I love that word, succor. Somehow it offers, it says so much more than just help. It means providing support and really injecting some sort of benefit. So she's been a succorer of many people, including me. Someone who's highly trusted, really valued and appreciated, doing important work. And when he talks about help here, it also got me thinking that that word, um, being able to give help to others is one of the spiritual gifts mentioned in um, 1 Corinthians 12 when he lists all of those wonderful gifts of the Spirit, preaching, teaching, um, healing, uh, 
all the administration, prophecy, miracles, help, being able to help others. Very simple human thing, but it's a gift of the spirit. Something not to be, it's not insignificant. So let's move on now to Priscilla. She is said to be a fellow worker. Now, with her husband, Aquila, the history of Priscilla is very interesting. Well, first of all, her name was probably really Prisca. Prisca was the sort of the real, the, the, the normal name. But Priscilla is a diminutive of that, like Margaret being called Maggie. A sort of familiar, friendly diminutive, and I like that because it shows that this Prisca lady, she was born into a high, into a Roman aristocratic noble family. But she had no airs and graces. She was willing to be called Priscilla. Um, so she was, yeah, she was born into this high, high aristocratic family, but they were Christians. She married a Gentile, Aquila. He was a Gentile from Turkey, from the province of Pontus. Now, that name sort of struck a bell, I thought, Pontus. And if you remember, do you remember um, at the at Pentecost when that wonderful, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit produced all the disciples to speaking in tongues and in languages that people understood. All these people from Cappadocia and Phrygia and well, everywhere, including Pontus and Asia. I thought, hmm, maybe Aquila was one of those people there. He heard Paul speaking. Maybe he was one of the 3,000 that were added to the number that day. Just a little bit of suggestion on my part. don't know. Anyway, the fact is that he and Priscilla married. They settled in Rome. They were um, very involved in the church and probably were hugely instrumental in helping Peter in his evangelization there in Rome. Um, they met Paul. Oh, yes, in AD 52, Claudius, the emperor then, um, banned or decided to expel the Jews from Rome. And they, these two, decided to go to Corinth. It was the nearest sort of big city um, with, with, with Roman um, influence. They were tent makers, and one of their main businesses was making tents for the Roman military, big leather things. I can't imagine what it was like trying to make one of those. Can you imagine sewing a needle through big, heavy leather? Anyway, um, they went to Corinth, where they met Paul. On, one of his, on his second missionary journey. He arrived, they immediately welcomed him, took him in, he stayed with them. Now, it, he was apparently a tent maker. Whether he had been a tent maker before or whether he learnt the craft from them and worked with them, I don't really know. But uh, anyway, the fact is that he did. They worked together and they also worked together serving the Lord and building up churches um, they obviously got very close. Paul obviously grew to value them enormously, so much so that he invited them to go with him to Ephesus, and they started a church there. And then when he moved on to Antioch, they stayed on in Ephesus as church leaders, where they were for several, many years. And you remember the story of Apollos, the, the, the chap who very devout and, and passionate about God, a chap who came down, he'd been baptised by John, he was full of preaching, teaching, scripture, but he didn't really know Jesus and he didn't understand the gospel. So Priscilla took him under her wing and mentored him 
and showed him, showed him the way of God adequately, is what one of the translations I read. Um, so she was obviously a good teacher, really strong in the gospel. So then they went back to Rome, and um, yet when the ban on the Jews was lifted, they went back to Rome. But at the end of the day, they are really an example of a great marriage, a great Christian marriage where people are working together. Paul then says that they risked their lives for me. I don't know what that referred to, whether it was that in their home in Corinth they protected him when he was being you know, in trouble. What they did, don't know, but it was obviously a significant act of sacrifice and courage for which he was very grateful, so much so that he mentions it here. He then says that the church is indebted to them um, for all that they've done for the church and for the Gentiles. This is obviously a powerful couple. Now, just another note. Priscilla, Priscilla's name, if you think about it, when you read about them, they're mentioned about seven times in in various letters and uh, especially in Acts of the Apostles. Priscilla's name comes before Aquila's in five of those times. This is quite unusual that the wife, that the woman's name should go first because in that culture, the women were definitely sort of second-class citizens, subservient to the husbands. This is obviously a different situation. She was a powerful lady. The next lady on the list is Mary, worked hard for the church. That's all it says about Mary. So her identity is unknown, but she was obviously somebody that Paul thought important to mention. So again, I began to think, who could this be? And I did a bit of research, found out that the mother of Mark, John Mark, her name was Mary. She may well have been one of the original Marys, of which there were many, that travelled with Jesus. Um, We know they lived in Rome, that she had a house in Rome, because Peter went to her house after he'd been miraculously released from prison. You remember when he knocked on the door and the servant girl, Rhoda, was so... (gasps) She just left him standing while she went to tell the others he was there. Anyway, possibly Mark travelled with Paul on a few of his early missionary journeys. Maybe he talked about his mother a lot and what she did in Rome. and Who knows? But she's mentioned here. Next we come to Junia. She's mentioned with Andronicus, Andronicus and Junia, my relatives. Now, that got me thinking, how could they be relatives? Maybe they were cousins, his cousins, in which case they were probably brother and sister. Were they brother and sister? Oh, they could have been man and wife, couldn't they? Yeah, so they could have been husband and wife, they could have been brother and sister. But anyway, they had obviously been in prison with Paul at some point. Now, I expect being in prison for a woman wasn't much fun, which wasn't much good. Um, and being in prison with, with somebody, would, you'd be very close to them, weren't you, if you were allowed to be together. So I guess that their relate, Paul's relationship with them was particularly special amongst his, his relatives, because several of the other people he mentioned in this chapter were relatives as well, you may have noticed. He also mentions the fact that Andronicus and Junia, Junius were Christians before he was. An interesting little comment. I don't quite know why he chose to put that in, but he did. He obviously felt that they were mature and established in their faith, and he valued them for that. 
and also that they were outstanding among the apostles. So I guess this was, again, another couple who were... Uh, who contributed enormously to the growth of the church in those early days. Now, Tryphena and Tryphosa, two dear ladies, they worked hard in the Lord. Don't know anything more about them, haven't been able to find out anymore, but I guess that Paul valued them. As he did Persis, a dear friend. No idea how they became dear friends, but she worked very hard in the Lord. Another lady who he really valued Rufus's mother, um, well, he says Rufus, chosen of, God, of in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. So as you can imagine, that got me thinking, when would anyone have been a mother to Paul? How could he, how could he have been a mother to Paul? And who, who was this Rufus? The name was familiar, and then I remember that in Mark's Gospel, in the, um, the story of the crucifixion where Jesus, if you remember, was walking along under the cross, kept falling over. So the Roman soldiers grabbed a man from the crowd and, and said, here, while you carry the cross for him, Simon from Cyrene. Only Mark mentions the fact, Simon, father of Alexander and Rufus. Why did he mention the fa- I've often wondered that, actually. Why did he mention that Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus? I guess they were going to turn up somewhere or they were known so that's what I think. I wonder whether Simon became a Christian. And actually, who wouldn't have done after having been forced to carry this man's cross, watched him be crucified. Doubtless he spoke to the, the apostles and disciples who were around there, got an idea of who this man was. Maybe he was converted then. Or maybe he too was converted at Pentecost. Maybe he followed the disciples after, that, after the crucifixion. And 40 days later, when he, um, he goes to Jerusalem with his family, possibly, to celebrate Pentecost, because we know that another batch of pilgrims in that long group, Cappadocia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and everything, was parts of Libya near Cyrene. So we knew, know that there were people from Cyrene in Jerusalem that day. Maybe Paul and his family were amongst that group. Maybe they were part of the 3,000. Anyway, um, maybe Simon and his family, sorry, were, were, were amongst that group. Now, Paul mentions Rufus chosen in the Lord. I've no other no way of knowing how, how he was chosen, but maybe his father's random selection from the crowd on that momentous occasion... Um, at the crucifixion, marked Rufus's being chosen as well. So, my mind, my imagination, this is purely supposition, that possibly Simon had subsequently died and his widow had travelled from Libya with her two sons to be with other believers. Having all become Christians, they found, sought out other believers too. Somewhere they might have met up with Paul and had occasion for, me, for, the, for the mother, the unnamed mother, to be a mother to him too. Just pure supposition. And then we come to the last two, Julia and Nereus's sister. Now these two ladies are mentioned among the saints in the Roman church, that long list of people greeting them all, you know, Julia, da-da-da-da, Nereus, Nereus and his sister. 
don't really know anything about them. But the name Nereus occurred, was found in an inscription which bore all the names of the household, the servants in the household of the emperor. Nereus was one of those. Maybe this man, and possibly his sister, were servants in the royal household, but they had become Christians and had become involved in the church in Rome. Anyway, the important thing is that they warranted Paul's greeting and his recognition. So those are actually the ladies, but I think we can learn, apart from just having a whimsical look at these women, um, what is important is the, the, the significance that Paul lays on them. He values them. He appreciates them. He is prepared to, to, um, to mark them out and, and recognise them for the wall that they've done. Um, but none of this... Uh, none of this sort of goes against his main teaching. It, it sort of illustrates, really. So... I think now these are three verses I picked out that show that um, the first Galatians passage mentions the fact that neither neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And that comes across really in this, this passage. They are all part of the body, the family, um, and that's so significant to Paul. But then he also says, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, which these ladies that he's picked out have certainly done. He says to Titus in the letter to him, I want you to speak confidently so that those who've believed in God may be careful to engage in good deeds. So he knows and values the importance of good deeds doesn't in any way counteract his teaching on the fact that salvation is through grace, through faith in the saving death of Jesus, not by works. We know that Paul and James disagreed a bit about this. So, but he obviously appreciates the importance of works. So what can we learn then from all we've read? I think... Um, that, that the body functions when everybody plays their part and that helping and serving within the church is, is of paramount importance. And he's often said, and Jesus used to say, that this is how people will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Um, Paul certainly shows that love in this, in this, in this chapter and the importance of, of playing their part in love there's another, another passage that I was, sh- should have read as well about whatever you do, be it in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So if we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, we might be recognised by Paul, but that's not the point. It's actually that's how, as Christians, that we should live. So I thought... Um, Another thing, actually, is that we, Paul's affirmation and the way he affirmed and, and praised these people, these women, um, 
shows that we too should affirm and acknowledge the things that people do for us. And there are many people in church, particularly I'm thinking, who do little, little things behind the scenes that nobody ever notices. But we need to remember and, and thank them and appreciate them for it. So that's the church and these women in Romans 16. I thought, if I've got time, yes, I've got time, to um, just look at some modern-day saints. These are some women who've, who have served God in their lifetime in the sort of sacrificial way that we've been talking about here. Susanna Spurgeon was the wife of um, Charles Hatton Spurgeon, great Baptist preacher. And actually, they both had terrible health. I don't know whether you realise that. It was awful um, to read their, the biography of them. Both of them struggled with ill health. Um, but Susanna had her own ministry. She, out of her own money, funded the distribution of some of her husband's um, pamphlets to newly, newly trained and appointed pastors that were sen- sent out to work. She used to keep them regularly updated, po- posting them out, however it was they posted them in those days, um, to these preachers. She, she was a wonderful support and encouragement. Again, another couple who worked really well together. Fanny Crosby... Do you know she wrote 8,000 hymns and gospel songs? And she was blind. I think that was amazing. She was blind from very early in her life, infancy. I think at months old, she got some awful illness and went blind. Um, She married, actually, she married an organist, being a musician herself. Um, She married his organist. He was blind, too. How amazing that people can overcome these these awful disabilities and do such wonderful things. Corrie ten Boom, well, we all know about Corrie ten Boom, what a wonderful witness she was. Elizabeth Elliot, she's the widow of Jim Elliot, who was one of the missionaries killed by the the very Indian tribe in Ecuador that they'd they'd gone to minister to. They were speared to death. only minutes, really, after landing in their aeroplane, pilot, and everyone was killed. Two years later, Elizabeth Elliot went back to that same area um, with her daughter, who was a child, and got to know the people in that tribe, the women in that tribe, and went and worked among them for two years, showing her forgiveness, the fact that she had forgiven them for killing her husband, and showing them her love and teaching them about Jesus. Many of them came to faith from that. I don't know about how many of you will know about Sojourner Truth and Amanda Smith. These were two amazing um, black American women who were born in slavery but came to be um, the most amazing uh, evangelists. They, they went around um, preaching Amanda Smith travelled over five, four continents um, teaching about Jesus. It was quite incredible. She was twice widowed and four children died in infancy. One remaining son also died. So a woman who'd suffered greatly in her life but who actually uh, had a wonderful ministry in the Lord, doing it all for the Lord Jesus. 
So, that's really, I just feel, let us follow their example. That's my last slide for you. Could you and I be added to the bottom of this list of people who'd served God despite all odds? Let me just pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, for all that it always reveals and shows to us of your heart. So we pray, Lord, that we may see ourselves from your perspective, that we may see the potential within us, that we may know how much you love us, and that we, like Paul, can um, be encouraged and like the women that he, he, he affirmed, that we might serve you, that we may work hard in you, Lord, and serve you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.